It's Wednesday, October 20th, and you've got Oz in your ears. Here we go, Radio Free Oz rolling, uh, rolling over the internet, yeah. Mm. Got a big, uh, my stomach got a leak there as we went over the top of that one. Oh, oh it's the music. Roller coaster. Oh, I tell you, Dave. What a time, what a time. I'm your host, Peter Bergman. This is Radio Free Oz up here, of course, on RadioFreeOz.com. I say up because I always see the internet, Dave, David Osmond, my co-host, as being up there somehow, you know? Yeah, well, it's that satellite view that we learned to have from radio, which was terrestrial. Yeah. And then we got out there so we could look at ourselves. And now I don't know what we're doing. We're looking at ourselves ad infinitum, I guess. And, you know, I just realized it's absolutely the opposite. The reason why the FCC can't control the internet is that it's there's no broadcast whatsoever. It's totally landcast. We're under the ground or under the ocean, or it ain't the internet. Spooky, ain't it? Oh, speaking wow. of spooky, yeah. today today's the twentieth. Yes. Of October, uh, speaking of spooky, it's uh, Bela Lugosi's birthday. Bela Lugosi. Uh, yes. Count Dracula, he, uh, he he was on a postage stamp. Do you realize that? Oh, he, yes, he, he was. He made the U.S. postage, one of the great voices. 1892, he was born. Uh, Bela Lugosi. Uh, and lasted a long time, too. Lasted well into the time when he should have gone to, uh, gone, gone to bed. It's a tragic story. It is a tragic he story. He was yeah. a Shakespearean yeah. actor in Hungary, you know, in the great European tradition, came over to America and was cast in a vampire film. Early on in his career, Bela Lagos, yeah. and never got out of it. It drove him so crazy, he became a heroin addict, a serious heroin addict. And there is a wonderful story. Now that you mentioned Bela Lugosi, mm-hmm. I have to tell What's the story. What's the story? He's, he's on set, and he's stoned. Uh, and there, there's this thing where he has to come down the stairs to make some entrance in some vampire movie, you know. And... And he comes down and makes the entrance. The the director says, can we try that again? And it goes on and on. And finally, he just looks at the director and he says, what do you think I am? A fucking mountain goat? (laughs) That's Bella. That's That's Lugosi. Lugosi. He's terrific in that movie with uh, uh, Abbott and Costello. Yeah. Which I think is Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. He's just terrific. That's their best movie. And uh, um, what was the other thing about Bela Lugosi? Oh, yeah. If you watch that original film, Dracula, watch it with a score by Philip Glass because all of the interminable quiet spots are filled with oh. music. Oh, really? And it's really good. And Lugosi comes off. Uh, he comes off as a real actor instead of our sense of him as this posturing, uh, you know, character. That's Which he not- was, and he played Hamlet in Europe. His last film is really one of the great camp classics, Glenn or Glenda. Glenn or Glenda, right. Oh, right. you've got to pick that up. It's it's sad to see him, but it, Glenn or Glenda. Well, so, here, here's the opposite for the day, see, yes. because the days, you know, everything needs its opposite. The right. scary and the comic, it's Margaret Dumont's birthday. Oh, I love Margaret Dumont, the the, the woman who made Groucho Marx look handsome. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, what a gala day. She, I know that was her line, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, this is a gala day. Yes, gala day. That's funny. Yeah. Can't do Groucho's voice, but you know, yeah, she was a great comic foil, a terrific, another 
classic actress with Absolutely. many, 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 many years of, of uh, stage experience behind her before stumbling into the Marx And they were Brothers. very close. They got That was a really nice, you know, I think it was Alan Dale, the name of the guy, that the singer that was always played the leading man. Oh, one of those guys, of those. right. Yeah. It was a really nice group of folks. You could see they were having fun together. Still well, great classic movies. Well, there you go. Well, Halloween's coming, you know, it's coming. Yeah. So, uh, so, so is the election. Sometimes they're... Simultaneous. <laughs> One, one's as one's as scary <laughs> as the other. Oh, here's more juicy news about Congressman Lott, who no, he's not congressman yet, and hopefully never will be, but he's a candidate for Congress in Ohio's from Talking Points Memo. Ohio congressional candidate Rich Lott got grilled by Anderson Cooper on his rather unusual hobby, this is Lot's hobby, of dressing up as a member of the 5th SS Viking Panzer Division, a unit in the German Army during World War II. Now, this is the guy that says, no, it isn't an SS uniform I'm wearing. It's just a Wehrmacht uniform. I'm just a, I'm just reenacting a German grunt. I'm not a Nazi killer. Well, let's move on. Lot defended the members of the unit, this is the Viking Panzer Division, who he said wanted to fight what they saw as a bigger threat to them than Germany. These are people that lived in in countries in Europe that were occupied by the Germans who saw themselves as real Nordics. And they joined up with the Nazis to fight uh, on the Eastern Front in the war against the Soviet forces. And says Lot, I don't think we can sit here and judge that today. We weren't there. Uh, the time they made those decisions. What? I mean, it's well-documented, Rich. We know what happened on the Eastern Front. And by the way, the Russians didn't invade Germany. No, they had all kinds of trade going on. They had the Ribbentrop-Molotov Pact going on. They were buddies. It was the Germans that jumped the Russians and went and hung kids in schoolyards and murdered people and burned them and did all these terrible things. But hey, we weren't there to make that decision. Lot called what happened in Germany during the Second World War one of the low points in human history, but defended the Viking division when Cooper referred to them as collaborators. Well, I don't know that I would put that label on them. Uh, Yes, Rich, you see, what they did is they collaborated with the enemy. They formed a division to go fight with the Germans who occupied their countries. I think it's called a collaboration. But Lot says... They were doing what they thought was right for their country. And and, and they were going out and fighting what they thought was a bigger, you know, uh, a bigger evil. Yeah, this abstract thing called communism. Hey, I ain't no fan of Joe Stalin and Joe Stalin's Russia. You know what I mean? But it wasn't Joe Stalin that was walking into Belgium and Holland and France, etc., etc., a lot also contended that this particular unit, this Viking unit, was the was one that was never charged with war crimes, though Cooper pointed out that one member was recently charged with the murder of 58 Jews. Lot replied, oh, the war on the Eastern Front was extremely brutal on both sides. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The Germans were there first. It may have been brutal on both sides because the Russians were defending themselves against a murderous force, but it wasn't like... You know, it was like neutral territory and let's get together and have a brutal fight. Nobody was lily white, says Lot. 
That's for sure. Horrible things that happened on both sides. What a weasel this guy is. Cooper also asked about the reenactor's website, which he said describes members of the Viking unit as valiant men. He asked Lot if he believed if they were valiant men. Well, I think they thought they were fighting for their homeland, Lot said. Well, that's a good answer. When pressed further, he said, I don't think we can sit here and judge that today. We weren't there at the time they made those decisions. Lot has been scrubbed from the Young Guns website since revelations about his reenacting surfaced, and House Minority Whip Eric Cantor, a Jew, withdrew his support from Lot, saying he would absolutely repudiate that and do not support, would not support any individual that would do something like that. Lot responded by slamming Cantor, even comparing him to the Democrats. Well, I'm surprised he didn't call him a Russian commie. Uh, from Talking Points Memo. Slices of bacon were laid down on a brick walkway to the Florence Islamic Center in Florence, South Carolina this weekend in a manner that spelled out pig chops. A conflicting Associated Press report said the bacon slices were arranged to spell out pig chump. We just don't know, but the message is clear. The incident, evidently aimed at the center because of the Islamic dietary restrictions against pork, is just the latest in a string of anti-Muslim episodes around the country. In fact, this isn't the first time even this particular mosque has been hit. Earlier this year, vandals broke windows in the facility. We have much more creative, almost kind of like Scrabble-oriented bacon letter you know, uh, vandals. Oh, it's a real upgrade. There's absolutely nothing that identifies it as a mosque, Reigns told the AP. It's an insult, and I'm sure that's what it was intended for. Mustak Hussan, a member of the uh, center, uh, made the police complain, telling officers he believed the incident was a hate crime because Muslims do not eat pork. Reigns said the department plans to increase patrols near the center. Abdul Ghani, a member of the board of the 30-family large Islamic center, said the members of the center weren't too worried about the incident, but he said it indicated there was a need for non-Muslims to be educated about the beliefs of Muslims. We didn't take it too serious, he said. We wanted to let everybody know what happened. People don't know about our religion, and they are just more influenced by the news. He said that the South Carolina neighborhood where the Islamic Center is located is fairly diverse. We're here mixed between American people and Pakistani and Arabs, Ghani said. We are not too big a group of people, not too big a community, but we are mostly family people and small business people here. The Florence Islamic Center is currently raising money to build a masjid in the town, according to their website. Several anti-Muslim incidents have been tied to the construction of new mosques. Oh, my. It's not Kristallnacht yet. No, it's not dragging Muslims out, you know, by their kaftans and beating them up like, like Germany in 36 and 34 and 35 and 36, etc. But it's bad. It's real bad. We got ourselves another not me. We got the immigrants, dem to not me. We got the Muslims, dem to not me. We got the gays, dem to not me. And then we got the president, who's a Kenyan colonial, unbirthed, non-American, the great not me. Oh, 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 oh.
This is from uh, the Think Progress blog and got to it through the Daily Beast. Last week, Think Progress published an exclusive story about the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's foreign fundraising operation. We noted the Chamber raises money from foreign-owned businesses for its 501c6 entity, the same account that finances its unprecedented $75 million partisan attack ad campaign. While the Chamber is notoriously secretive, the thrust of our story involved the disclosure of fundraising documents U.S. Chamber staffers had been distributing to solicit foreign, even state-owned companies to donate directly to the Chamber's 501c6. We, this being Think Progress, documented three different ways the Chamber fundraises from foreign corporations. One, an internal fundraising program called Business Councils used to solicit direct, largely foreign contributions to the Chamber. Two, direct contributions from foreign multinationals like BP, Siemens, and Shell Oil, and others. Three, the Chamber's network of AmCham affiliates, which are foreign members of the Chamber composed of American and foreign companies. The Chamber quickly acknowledged that it receives direct foreign money, but simply replied, we are not obligated to discuss our internal procedures. And thanks to those five bad guys on the Supreme Court, they don't have to release the names of any of the bozos that are giving them money to subvert the process. Instead of providing any documentation or proof to demonstrate foreign money is not being used for electioneering purposes, the Chamber launched an aggressive media strategy to first attack Think Progress with petty name-calling and second, to confuse the media by highlighting the Chamber's relatively minor AmCham fundraising, which the Chamber says, also without documentation, totals approximately $100,000 from all 115 international AmCham chapters. The Chamber and the media largely ignored Think Progress's revelation about the Chamber's direct foreign fundraising to its 501c6 used for attack ads. Yesterday, the Chamber's chief lobbyist, Bruce Jostin, who has been spoon-feeding much of the media distortions about our report, went on Fox News, whose parent company donated a million dollars to the Chamber recently for its ad campaign, to again try to dilute the issue by dissembling about the Chamber's fundraising and membership. Oh, we have probably 60 or so foreign multinational co companies in our membership that we have had for decades, many of which have been in the United States for half a century or a century, said Justin. Still foreign-owned. I don't care if they've got big buildings over here with reflective windows. I don't care what they own. They're still foreign companies and they're putting money in to direct American elections. It smells bad. The chamber is being deceptive. In addition to multinational members of the chamber headquartered abroad, like BP, Shell Oil, and Siemens, a new Think Progress investigation has identified at least 84 other foreign companies that actively donate to the chamber's 501c6. This is a scandal. This midterm election is going to cause a tremendous amount of stink. If, for some reason, the Democrats hold the House, well, then we won't have to hold our nose. One scream, change, 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 change what? This is an interesting story because it, it looks into the way that the Obama administration wants to handle change from a 
talking points memo. The Department of Justice this week asked a federal judge to allow the military to continue enforcing don't ask, don't tell pending the DOJ's appeal. The federal government filed the request with Judge Virginia Phillips, who earlier this week ordered the military to stop enforcing DADT to stay her injunction pending appeal. The DOJ also filed a notice of appeal, meaning they will appeal the ruling. According to court documents, the lawyers say they may also seek to expedite that appeal. The DOJ, in its request, points out uh, early on that President Obama supports the repeal of DADT. So why is he trying to slow the works? The president strongly supports repeal of the DADT statute that the court has found unconstitutional, a position shared by the Secretary of Defense and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, it reads. As the president has stated previously, the administration does not support the DADT statute as a matter of policy and strongly supports its repeal. However, The Department of Justice has long followed the practice of defending federal statutes as long as reasonable arguments can be made in support of their constitutionality, even if the administration disagrees with a particular statute as a policy matter, as it does here, it says. So what we're talking about is that this is an unpopular uh, federal law, DADT, or or practice, and the, the president wants nothing to do with it. But if he allows a single judge to throw it over, then he interrupts the real process of change. What if this was some sort of federal law that was very positive and some judge, an outlier, I'm not saying that this judge is an outlier, but say an outlier were to throw over a perfectly reasonable policy. The thing you have to do is you have to appeal this and and, and work it through the system. We live in a system. But the government argues instituting repeal abruptly would disrupt the Pentagon's ongoing policy review of DADT to be completed in December. This is important also because they're going to throw it out, but they have to give it complete review so it's an airtight case. The immediate implementation of the injunction would disrupt this review and frustrate the Secretary's ability to recommend and implement policies that would ensure that any repeal of the DADT does not irreparably harm the government's critical interests in military readiness, combat effectiveness, unit cohesion, morale, good order, discipline, and recruiting and retention of the armed forces, the request reads. Accordingly, a stay should be entered while defendants appeal the court's entry of a worldwide injunction. You know they're going to get rid of it, but they want to be able to get rid of it in their way and in their time, so it's a done deal. The precipitous changes to military policy required by the court's injunction would result in a host of significant and immediate harms to the recognized public interest in ensuring that the nation has strong and effective military operations, the government argues. Now, you know, Obama is being bled by everybody, but the fact is he knows that if he takes this approach, and he's a brilliant lawyer, there's no doubt about it. He's not much of a general, not much of a commander-in-chief, but he's a great lawyer. He knows this is the way to put the last nail in the D-A-D-T coffin.
from the New York Times. The United States is helping senior Taliban leaders attend initial peace talks with the Afghan government in Kabul because military officials and diplomats want to take advantage of any possibility of political reconciliation, Obama administration and NATO officials announced this week. So now we're bringing the Taliban, our enemies, right? Our, our stated enemies who are killing us as we speak, we're going to bring them to the table and reconcile them because we can't beat them, because it's an occupation. It's not a war. It can't be done. Listen to this story. You'll see it's the beginning of the end. Even as senior American officials cautioned that they were not yet ready to formally join a nascent peace effort with their Taliban foes of the past nine years, they acknowledged that the reconciliation effort was an important element in the American-led war in Afghanistan. We have achieved nothing. Whatever opportunities arise that are worth exploring, we ought to take advantage of that, said Defense Secretary Robert M. Gates, appearing before reporters with Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton at a NATO conference here. Both of them know it's all over. Mr. Gates said he did not know whether this leads into something concrete, but he added, we need to be open to opportunities that arise. Mrs. Clinton was even more cautious about the pace of the peace talks. She acknowledged during an interview that Americans might be squeamish about the idea of negotiations with the Taliban, which harbored Osama bin Laden and other figures in al-Qaeda before the attacks on September 11, 2001. Excuse me, Hillary, please. They're still harboring Osama bin Laden, or his remains at least, and tons of other al-Qaeda people. But she said the American public at some point might have to swallow the idea of reconciliation with the Taliban to achieve peace in Afghanistan. You call that peace? What's going to happen after we leave? You don't make peace with your friends, Mrs. Clinton said. She said she thought it was highly unlikely that the leadership of the Taliban that refused to turn over bin Laden in 2001 will ever reconcile. But she added, stranger things have happened in the history of war. The remarks by President Obama's two highest national security officials, who are attending a meeting of uh, NATO foreign and defense ministers, were made as the leader of Afghanistan's new peace council, Burhanuddin Rabbani, confirmed in Kabul that contacts with members of the Taliban have been made through mediators and that the international support for direct talks had added new momentum to the effort. Let's get straight, folks. Karzai wants to keep his head on his shoulders, knowing that he's going to have to make some sort of deal with these guys. It's probably not going to work. He's going to flee into exile. We're going to leave, and the Taliban are going to take over their part of Afghanistan, and the people in the north will keep their part. It's going to be hell on wheels. I don't know how it's going to be solved. Maybe someday we'll have the perspicacity to put our efforts behind a United Nations effort, but of course we hate the UN because they're all part of those failed attempts to be like us. NATO and American officials confirmed this week that the United States and NATO were doing much more to try to encourage a peaceful settlement than officials had previously disclosed, including granting permission for former fighters and insurgents to travel to preliminary peace talks in Kabul. So these guys that are out in the field right now killing our men are allowed to come in, do a little talk, little schmooze, have a little tea, go back, start killing Americans again and other NATO members of the willing coalition. NATO Secretary General Anders Fogh Rasmussen said this week that the approach made sense. 
Beats me. This political reconciliation process is Afghan-led, Mr. Rasmussen said at a news conference. But our position is that if we can facilitate this process through practical assistance, then why not? Afghan's president, Hamid Karzai, has been trying for many months to persuade Taliban leaders to join his government, and his efforts intensified after Mr. Obama announced last year that he would begin scaling back American troop levels in Afghanistan in July 2011. American officials had previously said they did not expect to begin serious reconciliation efforts until they had degraded the insurgency in Afghanistan to the point the Taliban leaders would conclude that they had no choice but to pursue peace with the Afghan government. Shades of Vietnam. But few military experts think the Taliban's ability to fight has been degraded at this stage. In fact, despite an increase in airstrikes and intensified combat operations, this week has been an especially deadly one for NATO forces. 25 service members were reported killed between October 8th and Thursday. That's about, what, 15, 16 days. What a terrible, deadly time. On Wednesday and Thursday alone, nine service members were killed in southern Afghanistan, two in the east, and three in western Afghanistan, indicating insurgent activity in many parts of the country. The high number of deaths in the south is perhaps the least surprising because there are intense NATO combat operations there. Some administration officials have argued in recent months that the American military, backed by drone strikes, has at least rattled senior Taliban officials enough that they may be more amenable to a deal. They are just blowing smoke up their own butts. The official caution, the officials caution that the outcome of the reconciliation efforts is deeply uncertain. Still, Mr. Gates said Thursday, we have always acknowledged that reconciliation has to be part of the solution in Afghanistan, and we will do whatever we can to support this process, even if we can't bring them to the table because we've whopped their butts. What's that all about? Here's a piece of good common sense that, of course, (laughs) the Republicans are going to say no to. From CNN, President Barack Obama called this week for Congress to extend the tax credit that helped soften the blow of college tuition for more than 12 million students last year. The American Opportunity Tax Credit Program, which will cost $58 billion over a decade, is due to expire at the end of this year. In a statement to reporters in the White House Rose Garden, Obama said the tax breaks helps make a college education more affordable for Americans. So, $58 billion over a decade, $5.8 billion a year, that's three weeks in Afghanistan. A year. I'm calling on Congress to make this tax a credit permanent, Obama said, using the occasion to campaign for democratic policies on education in the upcoming congressional elections coming on November 2nd. After touting his administration's step to expand student loans and reform public school education in the country, Obama said Republicans want to cut government spending. That would include a 20% reduction in education funding. What a great time to cut education funding. As we get stupider, of course, the more stupid you get, the better chance you're going to identify with them Tea Party people. They love them stupid. Welcome willing drones. Nothing 
would be more short-sighted, the press said, noting that an education arms race was taking place around the world as China and other countries prepare their students to compete for future jobs in the global workforce. I was driving up from Shanghai uh, about a year and a half ago towards Hangzhou and looked out the window and to the right, way off in the distances, you could see all these cranes, tons of them. And I asked the man I was with, who was a biochemist, a, a Chinese biochemist, what's going on? Oh, he said that building a new university, 160,000 students. And any professor that moves there, because it's not Shanghai, gets half of his house paid for and extra this and extra that. They're going for it, man. And we're not. We're stumbling. We think we're so smart and we are so dumb. Cutting back would amount to unilateral disarmament, Obama said. We can't afford to do that. It's interesting to mix those metaphors. Top government advisors told reporters this week that extending the AOTC program would allow families to plan for college for their children. Obama believes that it is important for this to be extended and for families to have the certainty and confidence that this credit will be there when they are making the choices about sending their children to college, said Gene Sperling, counselor to the Treasury Secretary. The tax break, introduced on the government's 2009 Recovery Act and applicable to 2009 or 2010 college tuition, expands the existing HOPE credit to include much lower and higher income Americans. Unlike the HOPE credit, the AOTC is also partially refundable and covers more of the expenses associated with sending a child to college, such as textbooks, which are often $150 a pop, and computers. It is available for the first four years of post-secondary education, up from two years under the HOPE credit. More, more education. Whether we're in good times or in tough times, we don't ever want to discourage families from investing in their children's future, he said. Right on. If you catch my meaning, if you get my drift. From the Washington Post, more about the U.S. Chamber of Horrors. Here's something important that's getting lost in the firefight over the money funding the ads by the U.S. Chamber and Karl Rove's groups. Many of the ads themselves have been debunked by independent fact-checkers as false, grossly misleading, or marred with distortions. Now, these groups are 501c6s. These are not-for-profits. These people are lying and misleading and slandering, and they should have their tax-free status looked at. Seriosna! Thus far, the media focus has understandably been on the flap over the White House's foreign money charges. But there's another big part of the story that's going undercover. The scope of the dishonesty and distortion that's flowing from the conservative side of this debate. Not only are the ads themselves getting widely debunked, but the justifications groups are offering for the ad onslaught attacking Democrats are also demonstrably false or misleading. We're witnessing a massive disinformation campaign flooding airwaves across the country that could change the outcome of major races and shift the balance of power in Congress, funded by money from undisclosed sources, justified with still more false falsehoods, and disinformation. Oh, Goebbels is, is just so proud of us. Oh, my, the propaganda minister thinks we are doing just a wonderful job. That's the thing about Karl Rove. you got to like Karl Rove a lot because, you know, he doesn't stand on anything. All he does is run everything from behind. Is he anti-abortion, pro-abortion? Is he for this? Is he for that? You kind of think he is because he's such a right-wing awful. But basically, all he wants to do is control and lie because his idea of controlling is lying. So the one thing you remember about propaganda 
is that when it collapses, it collapses almost instantly. It's a balsa wood tower. Here's a partial list of debunk ads hitting Dems from the Chamber and Rove's groups, Crossroads, GPS, and American Crossroads. A Chamber ad was yanked from two Pennsylvania TV stations after they determined its claim about Pennsylvania Senate Dem candidate Joe Sestak and Nancy Pelosi was false. A Crossroads GPS ad slamming Sestak over health care reform and Medicare was skewered by factcheck.org for its wild exaggeration and dismissed as badly misleading. A Crossroads GPS ad attacking California Senator Barbara Boxer for voting to cut Medicaid spending by $500 billion was rated by PolitiFact as barely true and seriously misleading. Two chamber ads attacking Boxer for favoring freshwater fish over jobs were dismissed by factcheck.org, though with some caveats as uh, follows. Strictly speaking, both ads are untrue. An American Crossroads ad blasting Harry Reid with various claims about unemployment and the stimulus was dismissed by the Las Vegas Sun for egregious stretching of the facts and gross distortions. An American Crossroads ad hammering Ohio Dem Senate candidate Lee Fisher over job creation and tax hikes was skewered by the Cleveland Plain Dealer, where my father worked as I grew up, as incomplete and mucked up with distortions. Well, there you are, and that's just the Senate races. This standoff between the White House and these groups has received an enormous amount of media scrutiny in recent days, and there's no quibbling with the fact that the White House and Dems may have erred with their attacks on the chamber's foreign money. But the sheer scale and dimension of dishonesty and distortion coming from the conservative side of this debate is a very big part of the story, and it's largely going untold. But not on Radio Free Oz, baby. Material world gonna come tumbling down. Yeah. Computerized world are gonna come tumbling down. Gonna be a ride, gonna be a real mess downtown. Gonna find a little rider and take away back in the hills. Oh, yeah. Find a little rider and take away back in the hills. Gonna carry my shotgun, that's how I wanna pay my bills. You know, 7 Eleven, I got no mini market. No 7 Eleven, no mini market. You know, if I'm a dinner, when you hear my old hound dogs barking. We'll embark for my boys Oh yeah No government man 
gonna tell me how to live my life. Oh, yeah. No government man gonna tell me how to live my life. Bring sway back on my woods. I'm gonna flash my knife. Material world gonna come a tumbling down. Computerized world gonna come a tumbling down. If I'm a rider, gonna get right out of this town. Gonna head way back, back in the woods. Gonna head way back, back in the woods. Nobody gonna find me back in the woods. Nobody gonna find me in the wilderness. This is from the Daily Beast. The Electronic Frontier Foundation recently uncovered two ways the government has been tracking people online. First, the Office of Fraud Detection and National Security, just one of thousands of offices with names like that, they use social networking sites to investigate citizenship petitions. The idea being that while someone might lie about being married to get citizenship, they would tell the truth online. As FDNS puts it in a 2008 memo, narcissistic tendencies in many people fuels a need to have a large group of friends linked to their pages, and many of these people accept cyber friends that they don't even know. This provides an excellent vantage point for FDNS to observe the daily life of beneficiaries and petitioners who are suspected of fraudulent activities. They're all suspected of fraudulent activities. If you get paid by the week, the more people you investigate, the longer you stick around and get paid. The second way the government has been tracking people online is through the Department of Homeland Security's Social Networking Monitoring Center. I didn't agree for them to set that up, established prior to Obama's inauguration, which scans sites like Facebook, Twitter, NPR, and Daily Costs for items of interest. Oh, no. I wonder if they're scanning Radio Friaz now, too. I wonder if they're looking into my underwear. <laughs> this little gem from the AP. At least five companies in California's multi-billion dollar adult entertainment industry have halted production after an actor tested positive for HIV. And more shutdowns were possible, the head of a major production company said this week. <laughs> The actor's identity and gender have not been released by the Adult Industry Medical Healthcare Foundation, the clinic where the case was discovered, a clinic I don't ever want to visit. The clinic was working to identify and test on-screen partners of the actor. Vivid Entertainment Group and Wicked Pictures announced production halts Tuesday as a precaution. Vivid founder Stephen Hirsch would not name the other companies that had shut down, but said more might follow. He's probably got 30 or 40 of these little seamy companies, you know, all turning out this great stuff. From Vivid's perspective, there was no question that when we heard this, we immediately shut down production and said, let's get the facts and evaluate them before we move forward, he said. Adult entertainment companies act responsibly, and no one wants to see another person test positive if there's anything they can do to stop it. 
Los Angeles County health officials and state occupational health officials have said the widespread lack of condom use on porn sets puts performers at risk of contacting HIV and other diseases. Adult film producers say viewers find condoms to be a turnoff. Oh, really? So if everybody wore condoms in adult films, nobody would watch. Uh-huh. You know, it's going to come to that. You know, this it, absolutely. They're finally going to put helmets on bicycle riders and condoms on porn stars in California. Last year, a woman tested positive for HIV after making an adult film, and in 2004, an HIV outbreak affecting several actors spread panic in the industry and briefly shut down productions at several California studios. Read Garages. In recent years, advocates and health officials have tussled with porn producers and free speech advocates over the use of condoms in adult films. What have condoms got to do with free speech unless they've learned to talk through another orifice? State workplace safety officials at Cal OSHA are considering strengthening rules designed to prevent transmission of disease by requiring the use of condoms in the adult entertainment industry, and the sooner, the better. In an average month, Vivid spends, now get ready, Hollywood moguls, $250,000 to shoot four movies! which require a total of 12 to 15 days of shooting, Hirsch said. Why, things would really be slowed down all that time taking on condoms and taking them off and putting them on and taking them off. Good Lord, the company currently has a stockpile of unreleased movies, and it would take months without any new production activity to affect Vivid's release schedule, he added. Think of all those fabulous films, all those fabulous, intricate, sophisticated, meaningful, intimate plots that were being denied because of a mere HIV shutdown. Isn't this America? Dave, the Chicago Sun-Times reports that the name of Green Party gubernatorial candidate Rich Whitney is misspelled Rich Whitey on electronic voting machines in 23 wards, about half in predominantly African-American areas. I can't believe it. So we oh, wonder man. if the brothers and sisters are going to vote for Rich Whitey. Yeah. Uh, all right, so the error only occurs on screens voters would see when they are reviewing their choices. Whitney's name appears correctly on the initial screens, but officials say the error cannot be corrected before Election Day. Jim Allen, spokesman for the Chicago Board of Elections, told the Sun-Times he expects 90% of voters on Election Day to be cast, of votes to be cast on paper ballots, minimizing the number of voters who would see the misspelling. I don't want to be identified as whitey. If this is happening in primarily African-American wards, that's an, that's an even bigger concern, Whitney told the Sun-Times. The paper said he's considering legal action. I don't know if this is machine politics at play or, or wh- how this happened. The latest Rasmussen poll shows Whitney drawing about 2% of the vote. He'll probably lose. No. have a, we want to vote for Rich Whitey? Hey, man, look, Rich Whitey, I know, at least he admits it. Let's vote for it. Sun-Times headline for Wednesday, November 3rd, Rich Whitey loses. A lot of statistics in this one from CNN, but I want you to pay attention because it's important. 
Bank repossessions and foreclosure auctions hit record levels in the third quarter, Reality Track reported this week. 372,000 foreclosure auctions were scheduled in July, August, and September, while 288,000 were repossessed by lenders over the same period last year. It's almost 100,000 up. Overall foreclosure filings edged up to 930,000 in the third quarter, a 4% increase over the previous quarter. One in every 100. And 39 homeowners received a foreclosure filing during those three months. Bank repossessions, or REOs, also are on the rise. In September, a record 102,000 homes were taken back by banks. It's the first time repos have topped 100,000 in a single month. And it's only getting worse. The uptick is not expected to last, Reality Track CEO James Sarcasio said uh, in a statement, because several major loan services have halted foreclosure sales pending a review of their documents, perhaps a criminal review. Nevada had the nation's highest foreclosure rate. That's where you go to bet. Up 1% from earlier for the 15th quarter in a row. One in every 29 Nevada homes received a foreclosure filing during the third quarter. One in every 29 homes. Looking at total numbers of foreclosures, neighboring California was worst with 191,000, followed by Florida, Arizona, Illinois, and Michigan. Well, time to get out of Michigan anyway. Combined, the five states accounted for half of all foreclosures last quarter. Arizona, no wonder they're so crazy. Florida, no, no wonder they're so crazy. On Wednesday, 50 states' attorney general announced a coordinated probe into improper foreclosures performed by the nation's largest loan servicers, but stopped short of calling for a nationwide freeze. That's not long in coming. From CNN, several people have been seized in a plot to kill Pakistan's prime minister, and the suspects claim they were getting orders from a militant in the country's volatile tribal region, police said. Well, that's good news. You killed his wife, now you kill him, and the orders are coming from North Waziristan, right? The place where Pakistani intelligence won't go and clear them bums out because they're going to need them bums to what? Fight India. Police official Babar Bakat Kwarishi told CNN that officers arrested several suspects who were plotting to attack the compound of Pakistani Prime Minister Yusuf Razi Gilani. Shabir Anwar, Gilani's press secretary, made no comment on the alleged plot because it's a security matter. The plot to strike the compound, located in the Punjab provincial city of Multan, was in its final planning stages, Qureshi said. The location is about 245 miles southwest of the nation's capital of Islamabad. The suspects were planning to use a car bomb for the attack, and they had acquired large amounts of fertilizer to manufacture an improvised explosive device since confiscated by the police, he said. The vehicle for the attack had not been acquired yet. So they had some probably sleeping in a room full of fertilizer looking for, what, uh, dynamite caps and, 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 and fuel oil. The police confiscated one kilogram of gold and two and a half kilograms of silver, which the men were going to sell to fund the plot, the official said. 
I wonder where they got that. Qureshi said the suspects have confessed that they were getting their orders and instructions from Kari Imram, a leader of a Taliban offshot group from Miran Shah in North Waziristan. Drone strikes said to be conducted by the United States. What do you mean, said to be conducted by the United States? Who do you think is conducting them? The Girl Scouts? Disney? The United Nations? Hey, that these drone strikes have targeted militants in North Waziristan, one of the seven of the country's tribal districts. Drone attacks, the gift that jazz keeps giving. The arrests were made after police stopped three suspects traveling on two motorcycles near Multan in the town of Ahmedpur Sharika on a check during a police patrol. Questioning led police to other suspects. And they will lead them to other suspects. But the fact is, is that North Waziristan is filled with guys just waiting to kill the prime minister and get the bomb. All right, Dave. Now, are we in the Tang period now? Is it, Are we still with Li Po? We're in the Tang. We're um, sometime in the late 8th century, maybe early 9th century with Liu Tsung Yuan. Liu Yuan. He who wrote, I won't read this poem, but he wrote one called Arriving at North Pond by Stupid Brook on a Morning Walk After the Rain. Too long. <laughs> Much too long. Luan, come on. No, Have stupid. Have another drink. But this is a good one. Meditation Hall. Here we go. Clear the land. Thatch the rush for roof. All around cherish the empty, the pure. Mountain blossoms fall by a secluded door. Within, one who has forgotten the world's schemings. Concern with existence needs no possession. Comprehending the void does not wait upon reason. All things are of conditions born. Profound is the silence in the midst of clamor. A man's mind is very much the same. A bird in flight, leaving no tracks behind. Ooh, that's a clear mind. I don't meet a lot of those. You're one of them, and Dave's another, but I don't meet that many of them. Well, we'll meet you all again tomorrow when Oz returns.